You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. All right, we're in Psalm 27. Psalm 27. One of the more well-known psalms, again, in this section of Scripture. It's a, a powerful psalm about God's protection. And I'm calling it Confident Living in a Fearful World. Confident Living in a Fearful World. Now, just a reminder, the psalms are, uh, are a collection of Hebrew hymns. These are actual songs that the Hebrews would use in worship. And so uh, they're poetic. They're, they're meant to be sung. And so they had that aspect to them. And they are inspired by God. The Holy Spirit used human authors like David and Asaph and others to give us these words. So this is uh, inspired scripture. And the Psalms are really, when you look at them as a, as a whole, they are about trusting God. They're about praising God. They're about keeping your focus upon God no matter what happens in your life. That's why Kendall easily sums it up like this. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. That's kind of a one-sentence major theme of the Psalms. And then John Piper picks up on the idea of the poetic element of the Psalms and the way these poetic elements connect with us at an emotional level. And he writes, the Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken, I like that phrase, to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. So you name an emotion, you can find it somewhere in the Psalms because a lot of times the psalmists are speaking very openly about what they are feeling. And so you can connect with the emotional uh, um, aspects of the psalms. He goes on to say, poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And tonight, Psalm 27 is about confident living in a fearful world. So let's just read it together. It's not a very long Psalm 14 verses. And then we'll jump in and uh, and talk about its application for our life. There in Psalm 27, it says, of David, means David wrote this psalm specifically under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Very important question here. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies or all around me. And I will offer in the tent, in his tent, sacrifices with shouts of joy. 
I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and again, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather as a faith family, to study your word, and to let your word speak into our lives. And I pray that you would do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you take the word of God and apply it to our hearts. And uh, Lord, to our minds and to our actions, Lord, I I pray that we would, uh, Lord, consider how your word uh, will change us and that you would uh, accomplish that tonight for your glory. Um, Lord, I pray not only for this this gathering, this Bible study tonight, I pray for all the ministries going on in our campus. I think about our preschoolers and children that are learning about missions, learning about your heart for the world and how you're at work in the world. I think about our students tonight, Lord, that are meeting and worshiping, Lord, uh, sixth graders through seniors in high school, God, gather together, learning your word and, uh, and praising the name of Jesus. God, would you bless uh, those different different things happening on our campus tonight. Um, by your grace and for your glory, we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as I was praying, I remembered something I didn't tell you. Um, this is a, a praise. Uh, C building now has air condition. Hey, yeah. So it got fixed today. It may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's a big deal, all right? Uh, we have been moving our children and preschoolers all over the campus, and it uh, is uh, time to get back in the building. So by God's grace, C Building is running, and the, the HVAC is, is up and running. So we're grateful for that, and so we're going to have to move some people around and get everything back in order, but we're excited that that, uh, that step is, uh, has happened. All right, Confident Living in a Fearful World. This psalm deals with fear and for good reason in David's life. Uh, David here is dealing with some enemies, which is true of most of David's life. You're hard-pressed to find a moment in David's life where he does not have some folks that want to kill him. (laughs) I mean, that's just the reality of his life. He lived a, a, a life of constant warfare. And we see this, look what it says there in verse 2, he, he mentions those that are opposed against him. And he uses different, different terms. Verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. He's comparing here his enemies to wild animals. They're, they're trying to devour me. My adversaries and foes. So in one verse he mentions evildoers, adversaries, and foes. Then look what it says in verse 6. Now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Look in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. And then in verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. Then he explains one of their tactics by saying, false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. So all throughout the psalm, he's talking about enemies, adversaries, 
folks that want to destroy him. So that is the context of this psalm. And the, the, the reality of adversaries is, is causing David some, some stress and some fear. It's almost like he's talking to himself in verse 1 when he says, The Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? And then he asks the question in the latter part of that verse, Of whom shall I be afraid? And so this psalm is about dealing with fear uh, in the realities of life. So I've given you a statement there at the very beginning. You will either live in fear of life's circumstances or confidence in God's character. You will either live in fear of life's circumstances or confidence in God's character. You're going to live one of those two ways. Is that not in the the notes? Oh, well, that should be in the notes. Um, So write it down. You will either, that's my bad, you will either live in fear of life's circumstances or confidence in God's character. And here's what fear does. Fear is an enemy of faith. Fear takes our eyes off of the Lord and it cripples our faith. Fear produces fretting in our life. We wring our hands and worry and concern and anxiety and, and fear steals our focus. It keeps us from moving forward in the Christian life and serving the Lord uh, because we're so wrapped up in things that are fearful. And so the question I want to answer tonight from Psalm 27 is this. How do we grow in confidence in the Lord? When we find ourselves in the midst of circumstances that are difficult, how do we grow in confidence in the Lord? So we live with faith and not with fear. Well, there are uh, several answers to that question that I want to give you. Actually, six answers to that question. Uh, And the first is this. Know him personally. Know him personally. That's the first and, and the most important step in dealing with the circumstances that come in life that cause fear. Know the one who can help you in a personal way. So look what he says there in verse 1. The Lord, and it's all capitals there, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the covenant name of God, sometimes pronounced Yahweh, translated Lord, but but the Hebrew words or are, are letters are Y-H-W-H, and so some pronounce it Yahweh, the Latin is Jehovah. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Notice there, he's the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So notice the repetition of the word my. He's my light and salvation, David says. He's the stronghold of my life. David here is speaking of a personal relationship with the Lord. He's mine. I know him in a personal way. And that is very, very important. Now, I want to show you an example of someone that knew the Lord from afar, but then came to know the Lord personally. And just hold your place. Return over to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. I love this story, so I'm going to try to avoid preaching it too much so we don't get caught up. But Genesis chapter 28, verse 18. This is the story of Jacob, the trickster. He tricked his uh, brother out of the firstborn blessing and out of his birthright. Uh, Esau wanted to kill Jacob and Jacob's mother understood this, and so she said, Jacob, you need to go live with your uncle Laban, get out of town for a while, because Esau wants to kill you. So Jacob, the trickster, 
is heading to live with his uh, with his uncle Laban, and on his way, he stops in a place called uh, Bethel. Actually, he names the place Bethel, um, but he has a dream while he's there of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And in verse 16, it says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So he's camping out, basically, on his way to Laban. And God appears to him in a dream. He says, God is here. God is in this place. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There's none other. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. It's a, an anointing ceremony, recognizing the, 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 the special place where he uh, had been. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow. So God appears to him in a dream. He knows God is here. He knows it's a special place. And look what he says in verse 20. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Do you see the pretension there? If God does this, 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 and this, and this, then I'll get serious about him. Then he'll be my God. If he delivers me here and helps me here and provides me here and brings me back here, then, uh, you know, then, then, then I'll get serious about the Lord. You know, a lot of people approach our God in the exact same way in today's culture. If, 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 if then, right? And so D Jacob here is just living as a, as a manipulator, right? He, if God will do this, then I will worship him, but uh, you know, I, I'm not going to worship him for who he is. I'm just going to, I'm going to worship him for uh, if he will do some things for me. So that is Jacob early in his life. But now fast forward to chapter 49 of Genesis. Chapter 49. This is after Jacob has the awesome encounter with the Lord he wrestles with him all night. God is getting Jacob's attention. I believe that is Jacob's conversion experience because after that uh, night of wrestling with him, the Lord changes Jacob's name to Israel, signifying the change that had happened in his life. And then we read the story about Jacob's sons and Joseph being sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. Joseph goes on to Egypt and through God's providence becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, which allows him to bring his brothers and his father to Egypt to provide for them during a, a worldwide famine. And so, so Joseph brings his father near to take care of him in his latter years. And in chapter 49, we see Jacob praying a blessing over his sons. This is uh, just before he dies, and he's praying this prayer of blessing. And look what it says in Genesis 49. Um, look in verse 22. He's praying for Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So he's talking about Joseph really being attacked by his brothers. And God preserved him and, and raised him up to a, a position of great prominence. Then in verse 25, as he begins to pray the prayer. He says, By the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Notice here, he calls God the God of your Father. 
talking about himself. And so he goes from if, 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 then, to now saying, God, the God I'm praying to, the God I'm praying will bless you. He's my God. He's, he's the God of your father, Joseph. And he has a personal relationship with him now. And back in Psalm uh, 27, David uses this, this word, my. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He knew God personally. And uh, that's very, very important. So you might ask the question, well, how can we know God personally? How can we know that the God of the universe, the creator God, is my God? I have a personal relationship with him that will be true uh, with whatever I face and encounter through life. Well, the bad news is our sin separates us from God. Our sin drives us away from God. Between us and a holy God, there's a barrier of impurity so that we cannot have a personal relationship with him, right? But God loves us. So he sent his son to deal with that impurity, that sin that separates us from God. His son, the second person of the Trinity, came to this earth. He took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life as the God-man, fully God, fully man. And Jesus, of his own volition and obedience to the Father, he went to the cross for you and for me. And on the cross, the Bible says he became sin for us. He took all of our sin on himself. He died for our sin. He took the punishment that we deserve. After he died on the cross, he was buried. Early on the third day, he rose from the grave. So Jesus was sent by the Father to deal with our sin problem so our sin could be taken away, and then we could be brought into a personal relationship with God. And so the Bible teaches that if you place your faith in Jesus, his death on the cross is applied to your sin, and your sins are forgiven. Your sins are washed away by his blood. Now, there's no barrier of impurity between you and a holy God. Now, you can have a relationship with God, and the God of the universe becomes your God. And my God, we know him personally. And Jesus wanted us to understand this because in John 14, verse 6, Jesus made it very, very, very clear. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way to have a personal relationship with God. That's what Jesus said. That's the, the statement that Jesus made. And so if you want to know that God is your God and that no matter what you face in this life, God is with you in a personal way, in a personal relationship, you got to come to that one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can have this assurance that David had. He's my light, my salvation. He's the stronghold of my life. Why would I be afraid? If I belong to God and he belongs to me, then why would I be afraid of mere man or of earthly circumstances? And so how do we grow in confidence in the Lord? Step number one, and you got to deal with step number one before you get to any other things. Know him personally. That's number one. Number two, know his character Know his character. Knowing what God is like gives you confidence as you face the, 
the fretful circumstances of life. And so let's look at some, some words that are used to speak of God's character. First of all, David calls him light. Do you see that? Verse 1, the Lord is my light. Now, light is a metaphor used for God throughout the scriptures. It's used to communicate his purity. For example, in 1 John 1, 5, the Bible says God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Speaking there of God being a God of absolute holiness and moral perfection and moral purity. It's used to speak of illumination. Uh, John 1, 9 talks about God, God's light uh, revealing his son to us. It's, it speaks of illumination. But here in Psalm 27, verse 1, the, the metaphor of light communicates victory over darkness. He's surrounded by enemies. He's surrounded by darkness, but God is light. And God is giving, giving him victory over that darkness. P.C. Craigie, the commentator, writes, The psalmist is affirming that even in the darkness of the terrible threat of war, he has no fear. For God is the light that can dispel such fearful darkness. And so David's saying, you know what? It's really, really dark everywhere I look. But my God is light. Secondly, he calls God deliverer. The Lord is my light and my salvation. That word salvation means to be delivered. It's used in multiple ways throughout the Bible. It speaks of delivery from enemies, delivery from hardship, delivery from difficult circumstances, uh, and uh, the most important, delivery from sin. And David had experienced deliverance from many enemies. If you look at his life, he dealt with a lot of enemies. and He saw God show up time after time after time after time to rescue him and deliver him from his enemies. And we just go through the list of David. Who are some of David's enemies? Just talk to me for a minute. Who are some of David's enemies? Saul, right? The jealous king uh, wanted to kill him, threw spears at him, right? Plotted, got his whole army to chase him. Who else? Who are his other enemies? Absalom, his son, tried to take the kingdom from him. Uh, treason. And Absalom was, was crafty and uh, rebellious. And yeah, he wanted to kill his father, um, David. Anybody else? Any other enemies? Goliath, right? The big champion of the Philistines. And speaking of the Philistines, David was at war most of his life with the Philistines. And so a lot of David's life was spent with enemies. And he saw God deliver him time and time again. But David had also experienced deliverance from his greatest enemies. Uh, and that is the enemy, those are the enemies of sin and death. David had experienced salvation. He could say, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Uh, he, he said at the end of that Psalm that uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so David had, had experienced God as savior from his sin and savior from death, deliverer. And so David understood, I'm in a tough situation. I'm surrounded by hardship, but my God is light, and my God specializes in deliverance. He specializes in coming to our rescue, and he knew that about God's character. Third, he uses the word stronghold. Stronghold. Verse 1, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Hebrew word here translated stronghold 
could be used for a mountain stronghold or a heavily fortified city. It was used to 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 uh, uh, to, to, to represent both of those um, setups. Uh, you know, oftentimes in, in ancient times, uh, if you were if you were threatened by an army, you would you would go to the hills, to the mountains, and you would set up your your forces to defend yourself in that uh, mountain stronghold, or you would build walls around the, the city so that you could protect yourself from rival armies. And so he says, God, the Lord, again, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord is my stronghold. In other words. God is the one who protects and watches over our lives. God is the one who protects and watches over our lives. And this is the time I like to make this statement, and you've heard me make it before, and it's absolutely true, but it's almost too good to be true. But it's breathtaking. But here's the statement I want to make, and, and again, I want you, if you write this down, if you don't have it uh, written down somewhere, but here's the statement. If you know Jesus, if you're if you have a personal relationship with God, nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. Let me say it again. If you have a personal relationship with God, nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. Because he's sovereign and you belong to him. You're in his hands. And James and 1 Peter 4 and other verses teach us that if God allows hardship to touch your life, if he allows something difficult to touch your life, he has a purpose. He's going he's gonna to somehow use that to build you from the inside out. He's going to use it for your good. That's why uh, Paul could write in Romans 8.28, God works everything together for the good of those that love him, to those called according to his purpose. And so if you know the Lord personally, he is your stronghold. He protects and watches over our lives. And it gives us such... Um, such freedom when we pray to just ask God to watch over us, to protect us and protect our families because that's what God does. God is a stronghold. So how do we grow in confidence in the Lord? Know him personally and know his character. Know what God is like, and that'll give you confidence and faith in the hardships of life. Now, we're going to speed up a little bit. I know we've only looked at one verse so far, so we're going to speed up a little bit. But but the, the third the third thing here, how do we grow in confidence in the Lord is this relentlessly focus on him through worship. Relentlessly focus on him through worship. Life has a way of, of taking our focus away from the Lord, right? And life has a way of causing us to fix our eyes on our circumstances rather than fixing our eyes upon God. And so worship is one of the, the, the disciplines that God has prescribed for his people for many reasons. One, he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. We shouldn't worship or praise anything or anyone else. But secondly, when we worship, we're, we're refocusing on who God is. And it takes our eyes off of our circumstances and puts them back on him. It's like the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And uh, th these verses are just remarkable. Look in verse Verse four, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his um, temple. Now, 
probably what's happening here. This is probably one of the moments in David's life, perhaps when Saul was hunting him, or maybe when uh, Absalom was rebelling against him. But it's one of the times in David's life when he had to flee Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where the tent of meeting was, the, the structure that was set up to house the Ark of the Covenant. And as you remember, the Ark of the Covenant was central to the sacrificial system among the Jewish people. And God would often uh, manifest his presence, his glory over the Ark of the Covenant. And so people would go to the tent of meeting to worship God, to be in his presence. They would gather corporately to fix their eyes upon God and worship him. And so David is far from Jerusalem. We don't know exactly what the situation is, but he's far from Jerusalem and he's longing for that moment to get back to the tent of meeting. This is before the permanent temple built by his son Solomon. He wanted to get back to the tent of meeting where God would manifest his presence and worship him. So you might say it like this. David had a singular focus on the glory of God. Because did you notice what it says there in verse one, uh, verse 4? One thing have I asked of the Lord. And it, this one thing is what I am seeking after. He said, I want to be there at the house of the Lord, the, the tabernacle, and I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I want to gaze upon his majesty and his transcendence and inquire in his temple, spend time with him, spend time in his presence. So David had a singular focus on the glory of God. Hey, question. What if the Lord said to you in an audible voice, he said, Hey, you can ask me for one thing. What do you want to ask me for? You get one request. What would you ask me for? David says, my one request, the one thing I really want to see happen is I want to worship him. I want to fix my eyes upon him. He had a singular, you might even say a, a preoccupation with the glory of God. I like how Charles Spurgeon says it. Divided aims tend to distraction, weakness, disappointment. Let all our affection be bound up in one affection, and that affection set upon heavenly things. And so David here has this singular focus to, to worship the Lord. He says in verse 5, He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. My head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. He'll give me victories, what he's saying there. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So he's saying here, God will help me and I'll be at the tent of meeting so I can, I can show my gratitude and give him my worship. What a, what a, a, a focus David is is portraying here. And don't you wish that all us Baptists had that focus on a Sunday morning? I just can't wait to get to the place of worship. I just want to get there and I want to focus on Jesus. I want to tell him thank you for what he's done. And I want to gaze upon his beauty and make much of his name. I just can't wait to get to church. Wouldn't that be a game changer if that was the that was the the common attitude of those that named the name of Christ? Like I, I like I gotta get there. That's my, my one thing. I gotta get there and be in his presence in corporate worship. That was David's heart. And I believe that that mindset gave him confidence as he faced fearful things. I I I promise you this. If you're trying to face life apart from 
corporate worship, gathering God's people and, and being reminded of the truth of God's word and singing praises to him and having your church family get under burdens with you and, and encourage you. But I, I just don't know how you do it. I really don't. I, I just I, I don't know how somebody can face the fearful realities of this life apart from relentlessly focus on God in worship. Number four. And by the way, if I ask you, how do you deal with fear? You would say, someone, one of you would say, well, you got to pray about it. Well, that's in the psalm. Cry out to him in prayer. Look what it says in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your, Lord, uh, you uh, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Cry out to him in prayer. That's how you deal with fear. It's interesting to note there's a switch here from third person, verses 1 through 6, where he's talking about God, to second person address, starting in verse 7. He begins to talk directly to God. And that's very important. David went directly to God and cried out to him in prayer. Why is prayer important when you feel fear? Why is prayer important when you're surrounded by daunting circumstances? First of all, prayer places your concerns in God's hands. And question, where else would you want them? Do you want to hang on to them? Do you want them weighing you down? Prayer places your concerns in God's hands. First Peter 5, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Take your requests and put them in God's hands. One of my heroes, Adrian Rogers, uh, says this about prayer. The first time I heard it, it was a... Um, it was a, a defining moment for me in understanding what prayer is all about. But he said, the, now think about this. The devil can't stop God from answering. So he tries to stop you from asking. Think about that. Once you, once you make a request and put it in God's hands, the devil can't do nothing about it, right? It's in God's hands. And he's going to do what he wants to do in response to your prayers. But if you never ask, you won't experience the power and reality of prayer in that situation. So the devil, he can't stop God from answering. But he can distract you so you stop asking, right? He can distract you so you never cast your burdens upon him. Prayer places your concerns in God's hands. There's a song I love by Stephen Kirsch Chapman. He's one of my favorite. You hear me quote him all the time. And I can't remember the name of the song. I think it's called Warrior. Warrior's the name of the song. And he's talking about prayer in that song. And there's a line in there I love. He says, the enemy trembles every time because he knows the battle is no longer mine. In other words, when I pray, the enemy knows, oh, it's not my battle anymore. I put it in God's hands. And so he's, the enemy trembles every time because he knows the battle is no longer mine. I can almost imagine, can't you almost imagine Satan and his demons when you voice a prayer and cry out to God saying, man, they prayed about it. Nothing we can do now, right? I mean, think about that. Think about how badly Satan wants you to be prayerless. And he wants, you to, he wants you to just carry anxiety, and he wants you to fret, and he wants you to worry, and, and he wants you to be miserable, and he wants you to be joyless, and he wants you to be prayerless because he knows as long as it's in your hands, he's got you. But when you put it in God's hands, there's nothing Satan can do. And, and here's the reality uh, about prayer. 
And it comes from verse 10. Even though people may disappoint you, God is only a prayer away. Look what he says in verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. We don't know exactly what he's talking about there. Maybe, uh, probably what he's talking about there is his home was not a safe place to go. Saul knew where he lived, where he was from. He knew his people, so you will. So he couldn't go home and be with them. So it's almost like David's saying here, home's not a safe place. Can't depend upon them. So he says there, but the Lord will take me in. The Lord will help me. The Lord will, will take me in. And so even though people may disappoint you or not be able to help you, which may be the case with his father and mother, God is only a prayer away. And think about how simple and easy prayer is. It's simply opening up your mouth and articulating words to God. It takes just a moment to talk to God. It takes just a moment to pray a prayer. It takes just a moment to take some concerns, anxieties, and place them in God's hands. It's so simple and so easy and yet so difficult, isn't it, for us to pray? But David had faith in the midst of his fear because he cried out to God in prayer. God, I'm seeking you. Be gracious to me. Rescue me. Deliver me. Give me victory. Cast me not. God of my salvation. Cry out to him in prayer. Number five, learn his ways. Learn his ways. Verse 11, interesting, he says this. Teach me your way, O Lord, again, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the translation of the divine name of God, the the covenant name of God, the, the, the personal name of God. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. It's not a generic, you know, I want to know more about God. He says, I want to know about you, Lord, the one true God. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. False witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. He's saying here, Lord, as I as I deal with these circumstances, and they're difficult, I want to know more about how you work so I can see your hand at work and know how you work and know how you will help me in this situation. As we, and this is in your notes, as we learn the way God works in the world and in our lives, our confidence in his wisdom and power will increase. I'm going to say it again. This is so important. As we learn the way God works in the world and in our lives, our confidence in his wisdom and power will increase. It's one of the reasons we just need to read the Bible. Because you read the Bible, you see how God works, how God moves, what God does, what his character and nature are like. And it gives you strength and faith in the present. As you observe maybe your past, you look back over the past and look how God has worked and how God has moved. It gives you confidence how he's going to move in your life in the present. So he says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me more about how you work so I can face this situation uh, with um, confidence. Uh, The first time I really came across this principle was uh, through the Experiencing God study. How many of you have ever done Experiencing God with uh, Henry Blackaby? Raise your hand. Raise them high. I want to see him. Uh, Yeah, it it was very, very popular uh, in the early 90s and on into the early 2000s, uh, and it's still around. You can still get the book and get the study. Um, but, but Henry Blackaby talked a lot about reading the words so you can know what God is like. 
So you can, so you can, so, so when you look at situations and circumstances, you can begin to see God's fingerprints because you know how God works. You know what God does. You know what God's up to. And you see his fingerprints uh, on your life and on the lives of others. And so learn his ways. The more you learn about God, the more you learn about his character, his attributes, his nature, uh, the more confidence you'll have uh, in your situation. It's like the, the uh, preacher said, uh, you probably heard this phrase before, but uh, instead of telling God how big your circumstances are, tell your circumstances how big your God is, right? You, you, it's almost like you're looking at fear and saying, hey, listen, I know who my God is. I know who my God is, and I can face this with confidence and trust in him and his ways. Number six, we'll finish with this. Number six, declare your faith. Declare your faith. Verse 13. Notice this statement, strong statement of faith. I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So David's saying, I, I believe God's going to deliver me. I don't see it right now. It looks kind of bleak, but I'm going to wait on him. And in the meantime, I'm going to be strong and I'm going to let my heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Notice David's confidence, even though he hasn't seen an answer to his prayer yet. He's still surrounded by enemies. And he has confidence that God will answer his uh, prayer. And I tell you, an area I want to grow in as your pastor is... is is confidence in prayer. That you, you see these 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 prayer promises throughout the scriptures. Uh, you know, Jesus says things like, "Whatever you ask in my name, that will my Father do." He's going to do what you ask when you ask in my name. And just and we read a, a, a promise like that. And we we start trying to qualify it, and all, but but we need to learn to just pray big prayers and trust God and believe and leave it in God's hands. He had confidence, even though he had not seen an answer to his prayer yet. And when we are struggling with fear, we must speak truth. He reminded himself that, that God is God. He's, he needed to wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord, that, that even though he could not see things changing in his circumstances, he knew God was God. When we are struggling with fear, we must speak truth. Declare your faith. And so Psalm 27, 1, I'm going to close with a quote, and we'll be, we'll be through. We'll, we'll, uh, Pastor Jefferson is going to come and lead us in prayer. But Psalm uh, 27, 1, he's basically saying, I'm surrounded by enemies, but the Lord's my light, my salvation, my stronghold. Whom shall I fear? I will not be afraid. I believe my life is in his hands. I'm not afraid of my enemies. I have confidence, not fear. Now, here's the quote I want to give you. It's one of my favorite quotes. Lottie Moons, the great Southern Baptist missionary. She was single. Uh, she was really, really tiny. And she was a spiritual giant. And she went to China in the late 1800s. And the reason we know her name is because she would write these challenging letters back to Baptists in America, asking for more support, more money, more prayer, to send more people. And her letters were very, very convicting. You can type, you can Google Lottie Moon letters, and you'll bring up some examples of what her letters are like. And she was so inspiring that Southern Baptists named the mission offering that we take up every Christmas uh, after her, the Lottie Moon um, Christmas offering. It's, it's named after uh, her. But she had this quote in one of her letters that really captures the confidence that David has here in Psalm 27 and should really 
uh, fuel the confidence we ought to have in our relationship with the Lord, even though we're in, we're, we encounter fearful things. So you ready for the quote? Okay, one of you are ready. That's good. All right. You ready for the quote? All right, okay, here we go. Lottie Moon said, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. I have a firm conviction that I'm immortal until my work is done. In other words, I'm in God's hands. And the fact that my heart is beating and my lungs are breathing means God has a plan and purpose for my life. And when that plan and purpose comes to an end, he's going to take me home to heaven. But until then, I'm in his hands. I mean, more, nothing can touch my life unless God allows it. She had that Psalm 27 kind of confidence. And listen, she faced some fearful things. She would walk between two warring armies. She faced sickness and disease. She died of starvation in a port out of Japan. She faced some very, very fearful things. Loneliness, hardship, deprivation. But she said, I have a firm conviction. I'm immortal until my work is done. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.